podcast is for investment professionals only. The value of investments will fluctuate, which will cause prices to fall as well as rise, and investors may not get back the original amount they invested. Past performance is not a guide to future performance. The information and views expressed should not be taken as a recommendation, advice, or forecast. Hello, and welcome to the Investment Podcast. My name is David Parsons, and I'm head of the Public Debt Investment Specialist team here at M&G. I'm joined today by Richard Ryan, M&G's Director of Fixed Interest Portfolio Management, uh, to discuss some of the current issues in fixed income markets. Hello, Richard. How are you? I'm well, thank you, David. Thanks for having me on. So, Richard, um, there's been a lot of positive momentum in credit markets since the COVID crisis a year ago, with central banks supporting markets and governments supporting their economies. But can this really last? What happens when the music stops? It's a really good question, David. So I guess, actually, really, we need to think about how we got here in the first place. Um, and if we cast our minds back, you know, what's 10 to 15 years, really, now to the financial crisis, you know, we came into that with excessive leverage building up in the banking system. Uh, and that led to ever more risk taking. And and when when the system then cracked, you know we got we got an inordinately large uh, macro shock. Um, and central banks responded to that by cutting rates, trying to stimulate demand with lower ever lower interest rates. And when that failed or, or didn't give them the response they wanted, they they took the next step of extraordinary monetary policy and and brought about quantitative easing. So there they're buying up securities and flooding the marketplace with with ever increasing amounts of cash. But what's really fascinating is that is that we've we've gone from crisis to crisis and. Um, in each episode, so if we go back to the 2011-12 European sovereign crisis, the 2015 global growth crisis, commodity crisis, and then uh, last year's market response to, to COVID, each time we've got to another one of those episodes, central banks have responded in the same way, more QE, more rate cuts. And, and in the intervening periods, the system's never really righted itself to a point where they can get back to what we would, what we old people would think of as more normal levels of of interest rates. And and actually, that's got a second round effect. You know, if you think about what the response is to this, is if you're a company and you want to borrow, well, it's cheaper and cheaper to borrow, so you do increase your leverage. And with that increase in leverage, you know, your ratings begin to drift lower. And with a more complicated macro backdrop, maybe your earnings are impacted like they were last year, you know, those ratings continue continue to fall. But with rates as low as they are, it doesn't really matter because you as a company can continue to borrow really, really cheaply and in fact borrow and, and extend out the term of that borrowing. So in market speak, what you've actually got is you've got a situation where, you know, interest rates are incredibly low, credit spreads are incredibly tight. So valuations, you know, both of those things just mean it's another way of saying that valuations are really high at a point in time when arguably risk in the system is really high as well. So you're getting high valuations, low compensation for risk, and the risk in that market's high. So you've got higher leverage, and that that translates into, you know, weaker ratings. We've seen that particularly in investment grade markets. Um, And then longer duration, so you've got much more sensitivity to those changes in interest rates. You know, you boil it down to the fact that investors are now taking higher levels of risk in a riskier market. And so, you know, when you go back to your question as 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 to, you know, what happens when the music stops, well, you know, we, we we've seen that 
time and time again in each one of these crises where where markets will take a pause and you always have that possibility then of that of that quite sharp collapse in valuations um, and and it really doesn't take very much i think with this type of excessive levels of risk in the marketplace for that to happen yes i tend to agree with you uh, on all of those points and i think in addition to that, if you look at the structure of markets and how that has changed over the course of the, the last 10 or so years, for example, if you look at European investment grade and UK investment grade markets, those were markets that were more than 40% in AAA and AA bonds 10 years ago. And yet today, they're really um, about 10% in AAA and AA. You have markets that are effectively uh, approximately half of them in triple B bonds. So the inherent riskiness of markets, I think, has gone up quite substantially over that period of time. And what would have been seen as a relatively low volatility, low risk type investment grade mandate 10 years ago is now inherently, I think, much more risky with the rise in leverage and all the other factors you took the time to lay out for us there. So I guess coming back to the original question, when do we think the music might stop? How much longer can this persist before we hit a, a sort of a, an inflection point? That's a million dollar question. Um, and the reality with risk is that um, it's a tautology, really, it, it, is that we, we don't we never see it coming. And, and that's the true nature of risk is that we as investors work in, a, in, in an environment where we're confronted by a variety of risks every day. So, you know, inflation, uh, growth, uh, commodity prices, um, the leverage, uh, earnings. So with all of these things, there are, there are risks and the market makes a, an assessment every day on what, what is important and what isn't important. And, and it isn't a question of, well, it's important, but when is it important? Is it important today? Is it important tomorrow? And you know, if you go back to some of these crises, if you go back to these to these big inflection points, like you know the European sovereign crisis of eleven twelve, it came as no surprise to investors that certain certain economies in 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 Europe were running you know very high levels of debt. But for very very many years, that wasn't a problem for today. It was a problem for tomorrow or the day after or sometime in the future. And therefore, markets broadly ignored it. And then there's a switch of focus. There's something that happens somewhere which brings that forward to today. And suddenly that's the one that captures the market imagination. So we could discuss at length all sorts of different risks that we face today. But the real question is, well, which one will capture the market's imagination? And I think there there's the fallacy of this forecasting of, of, of the forecast, which is market participants, investors like politicians and commentators and others, we can't forecast the future and we can't tell you with any degree of certainty which one of those risks is going to materialize, become the central focal point for the marketplace, and then potentially create the spark that leads us to one of these one of these big sell-offs. Um, but there is a consistent feature to each one of those. And the consistent feature isn't what started it, or in fact, how it how it how it how it unwinds. The consistent feature is the one thing that you need to have beforehand before you can have that sell-off, and that's a really high level of valuation. So in 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 my world, in corporate bonds, what that translates to is you really need an, an environment where spreads are very very tight. So you're getting very little compensation for for all the risk that you're taking, because in that environment, when you think about it, if you take if you've got very little compensation for risk 
anything that upsets the apple cart then can have that outsized effect because you you don't have any margin for error in your valuations. So when we look at the marketplace and we think about these risks, yes, we think about all the things that could happen, the fragilities within the marketplaces, the areas of instability. But the reality is, is the one thing that we focus on the most is the valuation. Do you get compensated for taking that risk? And is the spread, the yield sufficient enough to pay you to take that risk? And where where it isn't, You've really got to take a pause. You've really got to pause and think. Okay, well, if we're not getting paid to take that risk, you know, what's the what's my potential downside here? And we've seen time and time again, even in markets that have had a ten-year bull run, we've seen time and time again single episodes, sometimes very brief, sometimes extended, where those risks have come up, come to the forefront. Markets have become really concerned about them. They sold off aggressively, and in that one point in time as markets collapse, you've unwound or, or lost all the gains you've made in multiple years um, in the run-up to that. So for us, really the point is, what do the valuations tell you? How tight or how high are those valuations? And and that gives you the indication as to the susceptibility then of the marketplace to one of these sell-offs. But you've got to be patient. In some cases, it's not a question of just being patient for weeks or months or quarters, but in some cases, it's a question of being patient for years. That's very interesting. We've seen that there can be a variety of triggers for these uh, sell-offs, if you like, a, a reset of valuations from very overextended levels back to, to more reasonable levels. But typically, we've observed in recent crises that the sell-offs actually uh, correct very, very quickly. So you get a, a very rapid sell-off followed by a, a relatively rapid recovery. Is this spike-like price action something that you think is becoming more and more the norm as investors feel that they can't sit out uh, a weakening of markets to a, a point where valuations are compelling, but they feel they have to immediately start buying on any kind of weakness in markets? It's really, I think, markets are becoming more conditioned to respond to more active central banks. And actually, the last crisis, so the the COVID-induced sell-off that we saw last year, um, March, April, May, was followed by quite an aggressive action by the US Central Bank, by the US Federal Reserve. And they did something which hitherto they'd never done before, which is to step out and and to buy or or, or to promise to buy. corporate bonds. And up until then, they had done a variety of, of extraordinary uh, QE measures, but but never never stepping into the corporate bond arena. They, they were smart about it. They, they looked and inquired about where the points of tension were in the marketplace. And they set about easing those by stepping in and being that last, the, the buyer of last resort. But this is a toolkit that they developed in the financial crisis and other crises in, in the run-up to this. So they were prepared capable and 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 willing to go out and do that. So actually, you know, if you compared and contrasted this sell-off to the one that we saw maybe after um, you know, Lehman Brothers collapse and the financial crisis, this was um, many times faster. It, it probably took a, a third of the time for markets to recover than it did uh, in, in the Lehman crisis. And so that does give you an indication actually as to what, as to if you want to be in a position to take advantage of those, you have to be pre-prepared. And if you really start putting these pieces together, if you if you start going backwards, if you're going to be pre-prepared, but you can't forecast what and where those 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 inflection points are going to be, then 
the only thing you can do is to is to rely on those valuations and be prepared then when valuations get really high spreads get really tight is to step aside from the marketplace begin to take that risk off and then be really patient and that's quite difficult you know was everything is going fine in a marketplace if if you know valuations continue to rise and it goes against you as economies open up and do well things go against you and and the the perception is is that risk is low that's a very difficult environment to stand aside but if you do that then these events that are occurring with a with a you know with an unerring degree of regularity as, as they do come about then you are singularly in a fabulous position to go and take advantage of them and not everybody is in that position and that means that rather be, than being a price taker you become a price setter and you can step in liquidity is plentiful and you can really take advantage of those episodes and and by doing that you do two things one is you actually not only do you put yourself in a position to take advantage you know, from a performance perspective, but actually you also change the return profile that you run because you aren't susceptible to those big sell-offs and actually you let the market carry you higher as you come out of them. And that's, you know, I think that's quite a powerful way of looking at these markets at the moment. Yes, I agree with you. I think uh, there's, I think the other side of that is that there's an awful lot of short-termism from investors as well, uh, trying to to chase returns um, without necessarily having that kind of a value framework built around them. And for me, at least, I look at markets today and I think that if investors could be persuaded to take a longer term time horizon, then better returns can be realized through the investment cycle rather than just trying to to constantly chase markets up and hope that you can exit markets before the inevitable reset occurs. What do you think about short termism in markets? Yeah, uh, look, I think um, I think the, I think you're absolutely right. And, and alongside short termism has gone a you know, a, a focus on features of markets like momentum. And um, both of these are, they perpetuate these these spikes of volatility and these spikes of market pricing, you know, spikes higher and lower. And that's really important because you need to give yourself the option and the strength to go out and to buy into a falling market in those episodes. And if you think if you're following momentum, it's very hard to do. You wait for the markets to turn before you can get back in. And markets aren't continuously priced. Once they begin to turn, especially in fixed income and especially within that, within credit, once those markets begin to turn, your ability to go out and to, uh, and to acquire positions and to build positions as the market begin to deteriorate and your pricing advantage deteriorates quite quickly as the market ramps higher. But that short termism, if I'm worried about, well, what's the price of this asset going to be tomorrow? And I think, wow, I'm in a downdraft and markets are collapsing. I might never get the confidence to go out and buy it. But if I'm not thinking about just tomorrow's performance, but I'm thinking about a year from now or two years from now, and I know that the asset is undervalued today, it might get cheaper tomorrow, but I can look out over the long term and I know that there's that this asset should appreciate in value, then that gives me the confidence to go out and buy into those falling markets, which is absolutely what, what you need to be doing in this environment is as those prices collapse, much as you haven't been able to see what drives them lower, we will never know what will turn that market and drive it higher, but we do know it does happen. And we need to rely then on the valuations, both on the on the downside. So as we think this is expensive and it could crack and there'll be a better opportunity. When we come to that opportunity, we shouldn't be blinded by the fact that we don't know what the catalyst for the rally will be. But we have to be confident that over time those markets will normalize and we will see that rally. So it goes both ways. 
both in, in in protecting your downside, but also taking advantage of that upside. We can't we can't see the future, and that short termism stops you from acting in the right way, stops you from selling when you should be, and it stops you from buying when you should when you should buy. And I think the other thing is about this is that we create narratives around these market moves. So very few people will see an individual market collapse before it happens, but everybody will then be able to explain it as it comes out of that collapse. And these, this, this perpetuates this idea that we can actually forecast it, that we can see it in advance. We can explain it in hindsight, or for the most part, we could explain it with hindsight, but we don't always see it coming. And, and that perpetuates this idea that we can see where the cracks are and perpetuates the idea that we'll be able to see the crash before it happens. And therefore, that also convinces you to hang on in with expensive assets when you shouldn't be. And and to my mind, we can't. The one thing we can observe with certainty, the pricing that the market affords us, it's that valuation. We should rely on that to be able to guide us as to what the right thing to do with our assets. So if I had to ask you then just to summarize what you said uh, in this podcast, how would you think about markets today, given everything that's gone before? Uh, what would your sort of fairly pithy um <laughs> summary be of, of of how you think investors should be addressing markets in the current environment and looking ahead as well because obviously this this could perpetuate for some time to come with all of the uh, the central bank support and the distortions that it brings to valuation so really what are your key tenets of, of how you think we should address markets today so from today um you know i think valuations are high i think spreads are tight we've come back through the pandemic um, and yes, economies are beginning um, to open up and we're beginning to loosen those restrictions in different paces across across the globe. But, but you know, we're beginning to get to grips with this. Um, but valuations have gone right back to where they were pre-pandemic. And the reality is, is we have seen um, the introduction of more risk into this marketplace. We've got lower ratings. We've got more triple B issuers. We've got um, tighter spreads, longer duration bonds. So we're more susceptible to these price moves. Um, and we come back to this idea of valuation. Now, you know, we weren't great fans of the market valuations in January 2020. We're back at those same valuations. And if we want to be consistent with ourselves, then we shouldn't we shouldn't um, like the valuations today either, everything else being being equal. But actually, things aren't equal. We're we're putting a lot of store of value in this great big recovery. Um, and we're putting a lot of store of value in the fact that economies are opening up and we've got very little compensation for risk. So I think this is one of those episodes now where we should be patient, um, we should be conservative, and we should be de-risking portfolios. We should be um, uh, building that war chest, the firepower to come back out when markets crack. But at the same time, we need to be doing this with our eyes open and, and know that we have to be patient because this uh, the, 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 this this uh, period of low spreads could last for a long period of time. What what is fascinating to me is that is that we're, we've got an acronym, and that's Tina. It's this time or there is no alternative. And we had that same mindset back in January 2020, or I should say, the market had the same mindset back in January 2020. And there, they were comfortable taking risks and they were comfortable buying expensive assets because they couldn't see with any degree of certainty what was coming and they couldn't see what would derail it. And I would say today, we're in exactly the same spot. We can't think of alternatives to do or the market can't think of alternatives to do. Therefore, it forces itself to take extra levels of risk. 
but we're not getting compensated for it. So we would prefer to do something different, and that is just to stand aside, let the market run, be patient, knowing that this could take some time, but then be in a position when the market cracks to take advantage of it. And that's this conservatism isn't a permanent position. It's just a tactical position that will unwind as better valuations emerge in the marketplace, and we're pretty confident that they will over, over the coming periods. So pulling that together, really, it's about taking the right amount of risk at the right time and at the right price. And I suppose you could say that really patience is probably the most underrated but most effective investment strategy. Thank you very much, Richard. It's uh, been very interesting chatting to you this afternoon and uh, greatly appreciate your insights. Thank you. This podcast is for investment professionals only. For further information, please view the notes which accompany this episode.